0: Today is a special day, and it's bigger than we think, because there are many different kinds of fathers, and they all need to be recognized and honored today. Today we honor those fathers who consistently strive to balance loving their wives and children with being good, godly workers at their jobs. May you feel the pleasure of God. Today, we honor those dads who had poor fathers themselves, but who have committed never to become the father they grew up under. May your children continue to be guarded from any of the hurt you carry. Today, we honor the fathers who are older and who no longer have day-to-day obligations to their own children. May the family gatherings this weekend make you feel like you could do it all over again. Today, we honor the adult children of fathers who were absent. May the God of the fatherless become your father in ways you've only dreamed of. And may you believe with your whole heart that his leaving wasn't your fault. Today we honor men who have no children of their own, but who father younger men as mentors and guides. May you see your important roles as impacting and life-changing. And finally today, we honor fathers who have passed away. May their good deeds live on through you and may their careless deeds be corrected in your lifetime. Today is a special day. So for all the fathers we mentioned, and even those we didn't, be honored, be blessed, and be joyful. We believe that you have what it takes to change the world. And you're doing it one relationship at a time. Happy Father's Day.
1: Indeed, happy Father's Day. And welcome to our service here today. So it's great to see some people here. So I'm not talking into the air. And we know that many of you are also watching from home. So God bless you. Dads, this is our day. This one day. So take advantage of it. Take all the blessing you can. Take all the thanks you can. Take all the free candies, whatever else comes your way, and enjoy this day. And we do trust indeed that you will feel very blessed to be a father in whatever role you serve as a father.
2: Good morning, Southside kids. It's Miss Debbie here. How is everybody? I wanted to start off today by saying Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I hope that you're getting spoiled today and something wonderful is happening, that somebody is making you a card or making you your favorite snack or getting you to put your feet up and rest, maybe doing those chores for you so you don't have to do them. Kids, can you hear that? Do something kind for your father today. And also, let's not forget our Lord The Father. You know, let's do some extra prayers today. Maybe sit down and read the book of James today. That would be a great way to honor our Lord, our Father. So we're talking about the book of James again. And last week I was with you guys and I talked to you about having two ears and one tongue. Today we're going to talk about um, some other things in the the book. We're going to chapter... Two, and we're going to look at a couple of the verses in here. One is about um, James talking about not showing favoritism, and another is uh, about how we should, um, you know, be kind to the the poor, uh, take care of them, Um, don't um, judge them, don't uh, uh, treat them bad. We're going to talk about loving your neighbor, and we're going to talk about... um, uh, giving mercy over judgment, not being a judgmental person, but yet be kind, forgiving, and and just uh, lifting people up. So it's really simple, isn't it? We're talking about don't show favoritism, honor the poor, love your neighbor, and don't judge. Pretty simple. So those are the four things that I want you to go out in the world and do. Do those things. Live your life that way. Is that easy? Is that simple? Can you do it? It's hard. And I'm going to tell you something. I I had a time in my life where um, there was a child at Billy. Billy is my daughter. When she was in grade three, there was this child in her class and she um, was really unkind to Billy. And but not just she didn't use words to be unkind. She was physically unkind. She heard her. She would step on her hands. If she was bent down, tying her shoes, this girl would stomp on Billy's fingers. Um, she made her quite upset and made her cry. And every day, Billy would come home and she would tell me these things. And I would be really sad. And I wouldn't know what to do. So there was many things that came across my mind. And I thought, I was getting angry. I'm going to tell the teacher and I'm going to get that little girl in trouble because that's what she needs to happen. And I was thinking, no, I'm going to actually tell the principal and then that little girl is going to get in really big trouble because now I'm going to get the principal involved, you know? And, and then, and then something struck me and I thought, wait a second. Every week we were all gathering together at the church. The girls, we had a club, the girls named it. It was called God's girls. And we were, we our saying was God's girls. We love people, love the Bible and love to help. That was our, 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 our uh, saying that we would say every week. What do we do? We love people. We love the Bible. We love to help. And I thought, is it showing love if I go run and tell the teacher and tell the principal about this little girl? And I have to tell you something. I knew some things about this little girl because she didn't live too far from me. And I knew one that she was sad because I would see her by herself all the time outside um, with no friends. And another thing I knew was that there was only her mom at her home. So she had no brothers and sisters and she didn't have a dad. And um, she just seemed lonely and sad. And God was telling me what to do. God was telling me that I need to honor her. I need to treat her well. I need to take care of her. So I had to go to Billy and say, instead of us telling the teacher about what's going on, we need to invite this girl. So we did. We invited her. Billy made an invitation for her and she gave it to her the next day. Billy didn't want to. (laughs) She did not want to. She was really upset that this girl would hurt her all the time. So we gave her the invitation and the mom phoned me and asked me about the club. They did not go to church and the mom was worried that I, I was going to Um, Not really want her daughter to come when I found out that she didn't go to church that'd be right Would I say Okay, well you don't go to church then I don't want you to come to God's girls because you know Why would I do that? Why would you want to why would I want to take someone who doesn't go to church? To come to my God's girls club. Well, of course. I want her of course I do so yes, so she came so guess what guys God really pushed me in that direction because God pushed me to start that club. And that might be one of the reasons why I was supposed to was for this little girl, because she came and you know what? She stopped being mean to Billy. They weren't friends. They never became best friends and, you know, are together now. She ended up moving and we didn't, we didn't, um, we haven't seen her in a long time, but she did come to God's girls and she did enjoy it. And she stopped, um, treating Billy in a bad way. And she ended up making a different friend in the classroom. And they, they ended up having a great year together. So, whew, you know, I, I it was hard, guys. I I honoured her. She was, in my, in my eyes, maybe the poor. Um, she was my neighbour. So we were showing love your neighbour. We were not judging her for how she was behaving. We were just trying to show mercy um and uh, we didn't show favoritism because she wasn't uh a christian so we still included her anyway so you know thinking about this lesson today brought back this little girl into my mind and i thought wow, you know that was that was really a god thing and that was right from the book of james this is what he wants us to do this is what god these are god's words so here, picture this. You, if you're to love your neighbor, what if what if this house over here, this big beautiful mansion was yours and your neighbor's house was the the one that was falling down and needed paint jobs? You know how many times you would hear people complaining about a neighbor's grass being too long or um, they leave their garbage bins out. There's so many things we complained about. And, and we're not supposed to complain about these things. We're supposed to help. So maybe if you see somebody's bins are left out, then go and bring them in for them. If you think their grass is too long, maybe they need help, ask them. I know you're just kids, but you can change the world. So favoritism. Let's t- let's talk about that for one more second um, or one more minute. So favoritism. Have you ever been out in the schoolyard and uh, the teacher's like, okay, we're going to pick teams, we're going to play soccer. We need two captains, one from each side. So Sam and Joe, you're the captains. And the teacher always picks the most athletic, right, to be the captains. And then those people now choose their favorite people to be on their teams. Have you ever been that person that's just sitting there, and you're not picked? Or are you the person that always gets picked? Which category do you fall under? Are you favored? Or are you not favored? I mean, you know, it's great to be favored and to feel that way. But It's also great to make someone else feel that way and choose someone who doesn't normally get picked. Don't show favoritism. God doesn't want us to do that. You know, this book, I think, should have said to all of the children, because we, if we learn these things young and then we do them, then, you know, we can just do wonderful things and change the world. So I like this verse. And it says religion that God, our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I like how it is worded when it says polluted by the world, because I'm wondering, can you can you think about what that means? Like, does it mean you shouldn't walk around where there's garbage or go outside when the air is bad? Is this going to pollute you? It doesn't. That's not what this means. This means what they explain it in the easy read version, which is the worship that God wants is this caring for orphans or widows who need help and keeping yourself free from the world's evil influence. This is the kind of worship that God accepts as pure and good. So the world's evil influence that could be your friends telling you not to play with somebody, or that could be, um, you know, listening to a song that doesn't have a very good message in it and it's not really appropriate or playing one of those really violent games that has things in it that, you know, are just nonsense and shouldn't be in children's games. You know what I'm saying? You guys get this. So those are the things that James is talking about in today's lesson. That's in the, the cha- chapter two that we were reading. And I think that – um if we were together, we would do some activities and I'd get you to stand up and we'd pretend we were picking picking sides and doing all that stuff. And I want to ask you some things to think about, okay? So should Christians favor Christians? Should athletes favor athletes? Should rich favor rich? Those are things to think about. So if you have two friends to choose to hang around with one of them has all the latest fancy stuff and they always have people over, and then you have another one who doesn't really have anything and doesn't have very many friends, Choose, choose the one who needs you. That's what I say. Sometimes even the people who are rich and have things need you too, but be wise about it. You guys are amazing, and I know this, and I know that you can do wonderful things. So, um, I hope that you understand what favoritism is and that you uh, know that that's not something that God wants us to practice. So, I hope this message gets right in there and that you understand what I'm talking about. Um, I want to just uh, take a moment and pray for all the fathers today and also for all of you, for any children who are listening to this message. And you know what? Also for the whole, our whole church, as we slowly come out of this and we are able to get back together in person more and more. Um, I want to pray for that reuniting. So let's bow our heads. Thank you today for today, Lord, for, um, all of the fathers who are listening for all of the children who are here and God, I just ask that you, um, Just really be uh, present in any of these fathers' lives, God, that you um, bring them up and raise them and make them feel uh, your strength and love so that they can be the good leaders and role models for the children. And God, I bless Southside. I really would like you to um, put a hedge of protection around the people of this church as we come back into this in-person environment as slow as it will be and that you bless that time and um, just keep everybody safe and bless Pastor Ian while he comes to share his message today in his sermon with our church. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you, kids. Um, Maybe see you in person soon. And if not, see you uh, the next time I'm doing this. Have a great day. Take care.
3: Thank you, Debbie. The righteous man walks in integrity, blessed are his children after him. Great words for our dads today, right? And there are many, many verses in the Bible that give us dads direction, and it just reflects the fact that God wants us to reflect his fatherly love to our children, and not only to our children, but the children in our our community. I, hopefully, like many of you, was blessed with a great dad. And he was a man who instilled in me a a good moral compass, a healthy respect for my elders and for God, uh, a serving nature and a good work ethic. And just in case he's watching over me right now, I will admit to the fact it took some decades for me to uh, achieve those attributes that he lived out in his, his life. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love, grace, and mercy that you shower on us each day as you presence yourself in our daily lives. And we thank you for your Son who has made it possible for us to be in that father-child relationship with you. Lord God, our hearts grieve for the national crime against Canadian indig- Indigenous children, and our hearts go out to the families of those little ones who were ripped away from their dads, and some died from the lack of care. And the survivors were undoubtedly marked for life. We acknowledge, Lord, the role that the Christian Church played in this crime against humanity, and repent of the racism and lack of compassion father God we want to show Canada and the rest of the world our, that our attitudes and actions today and going forward reflect the love of Jesus for all of mankind father we ask for a blessing of wisdom and compassion for all our dads as they steer their children through a troubled and complex world and they do so by the way in which they live their own lives Bless the souls of our departed fathers and may they sense our gratitude for the role they played in our lives. And for those whose relationship with their dad is not a positive one, may each one of them find or discover true fatherhood in you. Father, we lift up to you those in our lives, in our families who are in poor poor health. And we particularly think of Ronnie. Reach down and touch them with your healing hand and may they sense your compassionate presence. Protect us all from the pandemic and its potential impact on lives. Bless all those on the front lines in our community, the first responders, retail and service people, and our hospital staff. Keep them safe, Lord, and give them rest from their overworked and stressful lives. Father, we lift up our church to you. Bless our elders and staff with wisdom as we find our way through these challenging times. We so look forward, Lord, to the time when we can all safely gather in this place to praise you and worship you. We pray your blessings on our service today. Pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit in each one here and in those who are watching. Anoint the lips of Pastor Ian as he teaches from your word. Bless our gifts and the giver today as we return just a small portion of what that which you have provided us for use in spreading the gospel and the good news of Christ in Milton and around the world. And we th- with these things in mind, let us now pray as our Savior taught us. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to you forever. Amen.
1: good story. I'm sure many of you do too. And uh, today I want to talk about one of, if not the best story ever told. It is the story of the prodigal son. And uh, as over the years I've studied parables and stories of the Bible, oftentimes um, scholars will say, okay, a parable has one meaning, or maybe at most a parable has two meanings. When I read the parable, or the story of the Good Samaritan, it seems to me it has many, many, many me- meanings. It is, it is a packed, full story. Um, incredible character development, and profound lessons all the way through the whole story. So I have, uh, over the years, I've really enjoyed a book called um, The Return of the Prodigal Son, a story of homecoming by Henri Noua. Noah, and uh, he was uh, at the last part of his life. He was living in Toronto, and leading one of the large communities that was was resident there. And uh, a brilliant, brilliant man, who set aside all of his learning to come and care for people who were mentally challenged and physically challenged. And he served the the years of his life in Toronto just ministering to these folks. He, in this book, talks about the Rembrandt picture that you will see that uh, um, is a, a very poignant picture. This this is not a full-color version of, of the picture, but it gives us the idea of this Rembrandt picture. So the painting um, is huge. It's six feet by eight feet. So if you can imagine sitting in front of such a large painting. And it it is full of vivid colors. And I- even if you look at this image, you will see the persons that are being depicted on, on the screen. And now one talks about the time in his life when somebody showed him uh, actually a poster of the Rembrandt painting. And it so engaged him and and provoked him that he as his life was really taking a turning or er, a turn um, he decided to make sure that he went to the hermitage in in st. Petersburg and had uh, had access to the to the painting and in front of the painting there was one chair a, a red velvet covered chair and he was able to sit for four hours and gaze at the picture he he moved the chair as the sunlight came differently upon the screen of of this beautiful picture. And he talks about how profoundly he was moved and how the message of the painting shifted his life. Now, the painting in itself is beautiful and it is life-giving, but it's the story that's behind the picture that really is profound and really changes. Rembrandt actually painted this painting late in life and he um, had painted many things before. In fact, there is one painting from quite a bit earlier in his life where there is a depiction of probably him and he's looking rather boisterous, holding up a glass with, with some kind of alcoholic drink in it and he's obviously in a body house of some kind. And many years earlier in his life, this was a depiction of how he was living his life. Whereas it has been suggested that he is probably the prodigal son in the painting that he ended his life. He ended his life broken. He ended his life rather empty. And he has left us this painting that gives us a portal or a doorway uh, to the incredible story that Jesus told of the prodigal son. Uh, this painting was used by God to get a hold of Noah, and to shape his life. Over the years, I've come back to it myself, and I've read this book. There are some books that kind of speak to your soul, and and this one does. But I've also shown the the painting to people. I don't have the painting, of course, but I've shown a a print, or I've shown something in this book. And there was one young woman, as as I recall, several years back. And when I presented this painting, um, she was really disturbed. And she called me and said, the painting that you showed on Sunday, I have to talk to you about it. So I said, fine, you're you're very welcome. So she came in and she said, there's a person in the painting and I don't know who it is. Now, if you have a look at the painting, there are shadowy characters around the back and we can conjecture... Who, who they might be. And, and I'm not really sure who she saw. But when she sat down to talk to me about it, she was broken by what she had seen in this painting. And she was broken, actually, further than that by the story that the painting was disclosing. And a long story short, um, the Lord led her through a, a wonderful healing process that all began by this powerful image of the incredibly powerful story of the prodigal son. So, I, I want to read it to you this morning because it's Father's Day. And the story of the prodigal son is the story of the father. We could talk about the other characters. Many have. We could talk about the, the prodigal himself. We could talk about the older brother. Lots to say we could talk about those shadowy characters all around but i want to talk about the father and if we can just set this scene in place for ourselves jesus is telling this story and um, if if you've seen a good storyteller you you see how people just sort of crowd around and in rapt attention they pay a, they they listen for every word and watch every gesture that the storyteller has to show Imagine listening to Jesus telling stories. And he was a master storyteller. And the setting of this story is that there are two groups of people, two very different, notable groups of people. There's a group of sinners. You can imagine who the sinners are. But they're near Jesus. And there's a group of Pharisees and scribes. And they are there as well, all in the audience. So if you're a good storyteller, you know your audience. And Jesus knew the sinners in the audience. I'm not pointing at you, Wayne. It was an accident. He also knew the Pharisees and won't point at anyone, <laughs> right? And we know who they are. But let, let me just ask you, as we begin to explore this story, which one are you? Are are you a sinner or are you a Pharisee? Um, Maybe we could all say, well, I guess I should call myself a sinner because I'm I'm sure I am. I would suggest that all of us have some Pharisee in us, right? Because if the world is us and them, if, if the world is binary and we try to sort which group we're part of, all of us probably lapse into being a bit of a Pharisee. You know, you, you see someone else do something, and you think, "Oh, that's that's not good." Uh, you judge a person very very easily if they're not like you, if they don't do the things you would do or think they ought to do. So, so we might be very quick to pass, you know, the idea that we're Pharisaical and be okay about being sinners because we all are some more than others. But I think all of us have a lot of Pharisee in us because we all have you know, our, our preformed notions and we tend to judge others on the basis of how we live. So Jesus is talking to those two kinds of people and he says, I'm going to tell you a story. In fact, he, he told three stories, three lost stories. And this is the most famous of the three. And I want to read it to you from Luke chapter 15. Here's what it says. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, let me have the share of the estate that will come to me. So the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son got together everything he had and left for a distant country where he squandered his money on a life of debauchery. When he had spent it all, that country experienced a severe famine and now he began to feel the pinch and he hired himself out to one of the local inhabitants who put him on his farm to feed the pigs. Now, who's listening? Pharisees are listening. Good Jewish observant religious people are listening and some things in this story already have them in contortions. What is he talking about? Pigs? They're unclean. They're not kosher. They were, we're not to be... And you're talking about someone who despised his father's inheritance and went and was thinking about being among the pigs. He would willingly have filled himself with the husks that the pigs were eating, but no one would let him have them. Then he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's haid- hired men have all the food they want and more? And here I am, dying of hunger. I will leave this place and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer deserving of being called your son. Treat me as one of your hired men. So he left the place and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity. He ran to the boy, clasped him in his arms, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the calf we've been fattening and kill it. We will celebrate by having a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was out in the fields and on his way back as he drew near the house he could hear music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked what it was all about. The servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed the calf we've been fattening because he has got him back safe and sound. He was angry and he refused to go in. The father came out and began to urge him to come in but he retorted to his father, all these years I have slaved for you. Never once disobeyed any orders, yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But for this son of yours, when he comes back after swallowing up your property, he and his loose women, you kill the calf we have been fattening. The father said, my son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. But it was only right that we should celebrate and rejoice because your father or your brother here was dead and has come to life. he was lost and is found father and and two sons. Um, I was just ruminating on the story, and I wondered about the next day when the party's over. and I wondered about maybe a conversation that would naturally happened between this father and son they might have sat down and they might have actually sat on the chairs um, where the father sat regularly watching for his son to come home and that speech that his son had rehearsed in his head I'm sure came into the conversation I'm I'm sure the son might have wanted to, to clear the air to explain himself, right? To, to somehow or other justify himself. And, and maybe he knows that his older brother despises him greatly, and he's also now in a snit and will not have anything to do with the family. So it, it's, a, it's a dramatic situation. It is, it is, you know, tension at a high degree. And so I, I wonder, and, and again, I think this story is, is just jammed full of things we can imagine about and wonder about. And, and I'm sure that in, in Jesus' mind, it was to be that kind of a story. It was a story to keep on reading, to keep on thinking about, and to keep on applying. And so I think about the next day, or the day after, or whenever the awkward moment came, when the son maybe realized he, he needed to talk he, he needed to say something to his father and, and, and then I wondered well what was that conversation like so I know how the conversation would go if I had the occasion you know maybe the, the son said dad um, I think we need to talk duh and the father might have said indeed we do I, I would think Do you realize what you have done? Do you realize this and that and the rest? But I'm sure that's not the way the story actually went. Because when the son began to talk, again with that rehearsed speech in his mind, um, he found that he couldn't get very far with it. When he said, Dad, and his father would look at him and say, Son, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I know. Son. Dad, I know. Son. Um, I've despised my inheritance. I know. Son. I lived uh, you wouldn't believe what I've done. I know, son. Like all all the things you taught me, all the things that we cherish, you know, our Jewishness. Do you know I ended up with pigs? I know, son. And 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 the son was probably looking for some hook or some way to go farther with these things, and the speech again, kind of resonating in his head, and thinking, "I have to, you know, I have to set the scene so that my father can accept me as a hired man." I mean, that's the best I hope for. So he might, he might have told his father what what he had thought about and said you, you know what I said when, when you came out um, I'm, I'm not worthy to be called your son just give me a job and I, I, I promise you I will do the job, I will do the job well I'll, I'll make you proud and I think his father just sort of shook his head and said son And all the things that the the son would have come with and needed to explain or to at least confess, the the father simply responded, I think, by saying, I know. know, The father's not horrified. He, He he's not astonished. He knows where the son has been. He knows where he went but he just keeps on saying, I know, son. When the son had run out, I think, of things to talk about or ways to explain himself or ways to promise to be better, the father might then have said, okay, son, there's only one thing that matters. It's that you're my son. That's the one thing matters. Nothing else matters to me. You're my son. But, But I'm not worthy to be called your son. I know. Son. Just give me a job. Ridiculous. Son. Like punish me or something. Son. And the Pharisees are thinking, this is ridiculous. This man eats and drinks with sinners. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. I'll tell you the story of a sinner and the happy ending of the sinner's life. When the sinner discovers that God is his father and says, Son. The big lesson for me in in the story of the prodigal son is, is about the fatherhood of God and the sonship of his children. You are God's son, whether you're a man or a woman. You're God's son, and that's all that matters. But, but do we get that? That that's all that matters? Because the Pharisee part of us doesn't get that. The Pharisee part of us says, if you, if you live this way, if you tick these boxes, if you accomplish these things, if you prove yourself, if you get rid of the nonsense, if you, if you, if you, if you then maybe mm, we can call you God's son. And, and God says I've got no boxes to tick was the father surprised by the son's leaving no he knew his son he, kn- he knew that there was something in his son that was fighting that was longing that was wondering but the difference I think between the elder brother and the father is that the elder brother didn't think the son would come back And the father knew he would. The father knew his son would come back. Every day he watched on the road. He watched for his son who would come back. And when his son came back, he threw himself and said, my son was dead, now he's alive. My son was lost, now he's found. Let's party. And all the stuff is water under the bridge. It's not worth a conversation. I don't want to know where you were, what you did. You will not shock me. You will not further disappoint me. From now on, the only thing that matters is the only thing that has mattered. That you're my son. And... and. The whole notion of being a son in the biblical world is way more even than it is in our world. We are proud to be called someone's son, oftentimes. We're delighted to say, that's my son, when our sons are doing well. I'm delighted how my sons are raising my grandkids. My sons are better dads than I ever was, honestly. They're good. And I love that, right? But in the biblical world, the son was everything. And this son had taken his inheritance and squandered it. And yet the father said, that doesn't change the fact that you are my son. And what you have done does not change the fact that you are my son. What you will do will not ever change the fact that you are my son. In, in fact, w- when the prodigal came to his father and said, I want my inheritance, somebody said they had gone in various cultures and asked, what does it mean when a, in, in your culture when, when a son comes and asks for in his inheritance before its time? He says to a person, the people that answered him said, the son is saying, I wish you were dead. That's what it means. I want my inheritance in an Indian culture, African culture means I wish you were dead. I want what I'm going to get when you're dead. That's what it means. And yet this father said, Son, all that matters is that you're my son. The sonship of followers of Jesus that we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus we are younger brothers of this one who is the beloved of the father who is the son of the father we are called his his brothers his, his brethren and we are welcomed with him as sons of the father and as delighted as the father was when he looked down at his son at his baptism and said this is my beloved son God looks at every one of us and says, you're my beloved son. This father, what the son had done, notwithstanding, said, you're my beloved son. You're not the son with a black mark on his life. You're not the son who, oh yeah, that. You're my beloved son. You're not the son that gets half a party because you don't deserve a whole party. You're the son that gets the fatted calf, the one we've been working to, to save for a great celebration. You're that son. And for us, we who try to live a life that would please God, that succeeds sometimes and fails many times, we struggle more than anything else about knowing that we are still loved intensely by God we are still called his beloved son no matter what we have done and it, it also goes on the side of no matter how great things we have done and yet we spend our lives um, trying to please a world around us and impress them with what impresses them and God says well why are you doing that Why don't you understand that the only thing that matters is that you're my son and that anything else should not even factor. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter what you have. None of that matters. It only matters that you know that you're my son and that I am your Abba. I am your Abba, Um, the God of the universe, the God that we can't even conceptualize, the God who can't be confined to any kind of depiction, the God of everything, zeroes down to us and he says, okay, this much maybe you can understand. I'm your father. I'm your Abba as well as the eternal God, creator of the heavens and the earth, the one from whose throne darkness flees. Uh, Yeah, you can't grasp all of that, but can you grasp this? I'm your father, and I love you. You're my son. You're my son. For me, one of the, the, the most poignant parts of the story is that Jesus says, when the Father saw the Son coming, he ran. Just those two words, he ran. One rabbi was commenting on this, and he said, for a Jewish man to run, he would have to pull up his his cloak. Uh, He would have to expose his legs, which was despicable, which was shameful. He would have to bury his pride. He would have to let himself be an object of scorn to run because a Jewish man should not run, should not expose his legs. The father didn't care what anyone thought of him. He didn't care about what they thought when they saw this man running with his coat hauled up. The father cared only for the son that he knew was coming home. If you have a son, or there's someone is, that is your prodigal, um, is there something that you can do that that's maybe shameful in in some other way, but that's required? For you to welcome your son. I mean, what what do you need to leave behind? Because this father left behind the decorum of his Jewishness. Um, he also left behind some of the stipulations of the religion. When he received an unclean person back into his family, there are Pharisees here and there are sinners over here. And the sinners are looking at the Pharisees and they're thinking, I bet those Pharisees aren't happy with this story. I bet those Pharisees aren't prepared to pull up their cloaks and run towards any sinners among us. I bet they're not going to welcome me back. And Jesus said, do you understand? Um, and here are the other stories. you know, Searching for lost things and saying, I found them, I found it. The father who says, I found my son. My son was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Jesus was going, you know, full tilt against the religion of the Pharisees, who simply said it is all about performing, doing the things that are required and not performing, not doing the things that are are shunned. And Jesus went at those things and sort of sliced a son or a prodigal. Are we willing to run out to them? Or do we demand that they return on our terms? Jesus could have told the story that way. He could have said that this son finally came to his senses and then came back to the requirements of his household. But he doesn't tell the story that way. Um, The father was willing to to compromise himself to welcome back his son. Sometimes it's the pride of what the son has done that holds us away from reconciliation. It's just that thing where we, we, we want that conversation because we want to do the I told you talk. And the father didn't do the I told you talk. The Father said, all that matters is you're my son. God says to us, all that matters is you're my son. So if, if we can accept that from him, and we often can't, that there's nothing that I've done that can make God love me less, there's nothing that I will do that can make God love me more, if I can accept that, then I also have to behave that way towards my prodigal and say, it doesn't matter what you've done and it doesn't matter what you will do. You're my son. And if it means my walking outside of the church so that you understand that is not the church I need you to come back to, it's me, then I'll walk outside the church. If I have to accept things that I struggle with about your lifestyle, I will walk outside the church and say, but the only thing that matters is you're my son. Because God says to us, the only thing that matters is you're my son. Incredible story. Full, just full of poignant images and ideas. And Jesus masterfully wove this story. And you can be sure that that evening, as the Pharisees went home, they had something to talk about. When the sinners went home, they had something to talk about. I'd rather be part of the sinners' conversation, right? So if we are elder brothers, let's sort that out. If we're the Pharisees in the story, let's sort that out. If we're the sinners in the story, let's sort that out. But the story is about the Father saying to the Son, the only thing that matters is I love you and you're my Son. And at the end of the day, with all of the disputes around how we live our lives, the fact that we have a generation following us that is walking away from the church that we love, We need to say, that's not what matters. That's not what matters. What matters is that God loves you, and you're his son. Several years ago, I had a man say to me, I don't believe in God. And every now and then, you get a revelation or something. And I said, but God believes in you. And he stopped short. And stared at me. And he came back a week later or so. He said, does he? I said, yes, he does. And he said, I think maybe then I can believe in God. Do we understand that for ourselves? Do we understand it for our prodigals? That God believes in us. God loves us. God has... Moved heaven and earth to show how much he loves us. And yet we fight it. We resist it. We don't believe it. And uh, he says, well, here's a story. And let me give you the most ridiculous image of of a father. And let me tell you that, that that's me. That's me. God is that father who says, I don't care. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is you're my son, and I love you. We need to believe this. We need this to sink into our souls. We need it to sink into our feet and hands because there are all kinds of people around us, close to us, that are prodigals, and they need to know that we unreservedly welcome them into our family we unreservedly welcome them back into our relationship and we say the only thing that matters, I don't care what you've done, the only thing that matters is you're my son. My dad is in the last few weeks of his life on earth. He's in palliative care in Kelowna, B.C., and he doesn't know very much, doesn't know very many people. The uncanny thing is he knows that God loves him. He knows that when they start playing those hymns and that evokes a singing in him. He knows that God loves him. And that's the only thing that matters. He's done a lot of great things in his life. I'm very proud of him. But at the end of his life, this is the only thing that matters, is that God loves him, and he's his son. Amen.